Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring a matter in the presence of God. For God is in heaven and you are on the earth. Therefore let your words be few. For the dream comes through much effort and the voice of a fool through many words. And when you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it. For he takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Do not let your speech cause you to sin. And do not say in the presence of the messenger of God that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry on account of your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For in many dreams and in many words there is emptiness. Rather, fear God. It's an interesting passage, and I, the more that I've thought through this text, the more that I'm just affirmed in my own life that I really just don't want to play religion. I want to be real, but that doesn't mean that I take a lesser view of God or be content with the mess of my life and not think that I have to advance and grow and mature in the faith. But I find often that we can just easily come into the realm of just talking about our faith and drawing near with words and our heart being far from God. And this is really the caution that Solomon lays out for us. And he uses strong terminology. I mean, we don't like the fact that we might be called fools or considered fools, but the Bible is right, honest, and upfront, and it says it as it is. And so we have to be willing to walk this pathway Solomon takes us, but the overall text and the thought this morning is dealing with rash words and rash vows. Following along with the, the R's, I, I did reverence, reticence, and then brevity and devotion, not in the sense that this goes against Hebrews 12 and that faith that endures is a faith that is real. What I mean by this statement of brevity and devotion is not to put on airs. Not to just merely talk the talk, but must walk the walk. And oftentimes we can find ourselves doing this, waxing eloquent about our, our beliefs and so on, and yet when really we look at the language of our life and what we communicate by the things that we do, we're really not all there. And one might be tempted to come to this passage and think, well, we're talking about vows and things being offered up to God, and this really doesn't have any relevance for us today. This is an Old Testament issue. It has nothing to do with New Testament, and it definitely doesn't have anything to do with us today. It has everything to do with us today. As much as I wanted to sort of bypass this chapter in my mind, right, and didn't want to stay here, I find myself having to stay here because we all make promises to God. Even the unbeliever does this, right? When they find themselves in situations when their life is at stake, right? And they cry out to God and they say, if you just deliver me, I promise you that I will serve you with the rest of my life. But then when it comes around to fulfilling that, not so much. It's interesting, looking back in church history, I think Martin Luther is the only one I can think of who made such a vow to God and actually fulfilled it. He went into the monastery and became a monk as a result of God delivering him in the midst of a storm. 
But we all do this, right? We, we find ourselves in a moment of life where something just breaks in on our life. We weren't expecting it. We weren't planning for it. It's like a tornado that drops down in the midst of our life. It brings nothing but chaos, and everything gets turned upside down. And we start to look at the world as life under the sun, forgetting that one lies above the sun. And we see all of this, and we, we panic, and we become anxious, and we start uttering things, right? And we start then all of a sudden crying out to God, right, for the sense of deliverance. And we start making all of these promises and vows to God, and we do this in this rashness. And that is the idea that Solomon is dealing with here, and I can imagine even those who walk into the temple to worship, and they come before God and they say, Lord, if you would just do this or that, fill in the blank, but if you would just do this or that, Lord, I'll give 30% right, of my, my crops, my harvest this year, rather than the usual 10%, as though somehow you can haggle with God and make a deal with God, right? And we can find ourselves so easily going down this kind of pathway. God, if you do this, then I'll do this. And if you do that, then I'll do this over here. But so often we make these kinds of vows and pledges and promises to God in the midst of difficult times when everything is tumultuous and we just want to be out of whatever we're in and we want God to deliver us and we voice these things, but in the end, are we going to fulfill them? And that is really what Solomon is going to caution us with here when we come to this passage. And he's going to start off more general and then he's going to get to more specific stuff. And let me just lay out the, the framework of this passage as it moves. So we have this positive in chapter 5, verse 1, if you want to look in your text with me, this reference to draw near and listen, right? So we have this positive element. Then he moves in verse 2 to the negative. Don't be hasty in word or impulsive in thought. and Bring a matter in the presence of God. Then he moves to this proverbial statement that comes in verse 3. For a dream comes through much effort, and the voice of a fool through many words, right? Talking about restless sleep. We, we don't, right, when we are caught up with things in our life and there's things that we're anxious over and we go to bed at night, it's like our mind is defragmenting and we have all of these things that start coming upon us, right? And we're not having that quiet, restful sleep. Same thing in life when it's tumultuous. We start uttering out words and, and calling out to God and we utter these vows and promises. Then it's interesting because then he moves back to the positive again in verse 4. So there is this parallelism that goes through this text. Verse 4 then, he says, when you make a vow to God, ends verse 4, pay what you vow. Then he's going to move to the negative. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Do not let your speech cause you to sin. And then he moves to a proverbial statement again in verse 7, for in many dreams and in many words there is emptiness. And then comes the conclusion, rather fear God. That's the end of this. So that is the framework of how this passage moves. He moves from the negative to the or from the positive to the negative, and then he gives this proverbial statement, does the same thing in verses four through seven, and then he brings us to the climax, fear God. And that is our journey. So as we come to the house of God, as we approach it, we are going to encounter God. And there are several things that he lays out here about God's personality, just in the things that he says which is important for us to see. He speaks to us, right? There's communication. He is a personality. God is a person. He communicates to us. We are to listen to them. He hears us. 
We bring matters before Him and enter into His presence. And we bring these things before Him and we utter our petitions before God and He hears these petitions. Not only that, but He despises. He does not delight in 5.4. Or He can be pleased and He can also be angered in 5.6. And He is good. And we see His goodness in verses 18-19. through 19. If we see this later on in chapter 5... And then we see His holiness in verses 1 and 2. We also see His transcendence. He is a God in heaven. We see His inscrutability and we see this in the reality of who He is and thus then the exhortation that we are to fear God. We see all of these realities of God and the reality of who He is as a personal being. And there is this element in which we come into the presence of God, verse 2, that we come and worship Him and yet at the same time there is a distance. And this is a part of how Solomon is walking us through this because we must be careful. God is in our presence. We can come before Him with our petitions and requests, but we need to be mindful of the fact that He is not like us. God is different. God is transcendent. He is in heaven and we are on earth. So the exhortations that we started to look at last week, draw near and listen well because God is communicating. Be quiet and stay calm because God hears the inaudible, He sees the invisible, and He takes us at our word. If you make a vow and promise to God, Solomon exhorts us, fulfill that, fulfill that. So we approach the presence of God, verses 1 through 3. We saw that we need to guard our steps, preparation through obedience. We draw near to listen, yielding to God's guidance. The preacher tells us to be quick to hear and obey, and therefore he tells us to be slow to speak when we come to the presence of God. And therefore he leads us into this next exhortation, avoid hastiness. Avoid hastiness, verse 2. He says, do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring a matter in the presence of God. I like this phrasing, lifne. It literally means in Hebrew, before the face of God. And it's a word that's used, a phrase that's used in Psalms over and over again. And it is about that intimate communion that we have with God. As we worship, we are in His presence and He is in ours. But at the same time, He's going to remind us there is a distance. In this exhortation that he gives us in verse 2, there are two things he's going to focus on. First, he cautions hastiness of mouth, and then he cautions hastiness in regards to our heart. Literally, the Hebrew is this, if I put it into English, do not let your heart hurry to cause a word to go out before God. Don't be, in other words, impulsive. We have these anxious thoughts, we have these things going on in our life, this tumultuousness that's going on inside of us, and then we release it in words and give expression to that. Sometimes we say things we ought not to say. We make vows that we shouldn't make, promises we should never make to God that we know we will never or could never keep. It's interesting how he makes this movement for us because he helps us to understand that also the heart and the mind of the worshiper must be calm and deliberate. I tell my kids, when something happens, don't panic. Stay calm. Right? But we do this. When things come upon us and we're not prepared for it and we're not expecting it and it enters into our life and it throws everything in chaos and all of a sudden we start sort of come unhinged a bit and we come unglued and we just start panicking along with whatever's going on around us. 
So the exhortation that we find here from Solomon is what we find throughout wisdom literature, Proverbs, which is another work that he has composed through the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We are told not to be hasty in word nor in action. I'm a slow mover. <laughs> Tell salesmen, you come to my door, don't expect me to make a decision right now. Be ready to come back. I'm not going to hurry into anything. Don't be hasty. This is the exhortation that comes. But we understand this hastiness that Solomon lays out for us is it starts in our thoughts and then it proceeds to our mouth. How we think and understand and see God will determine how we respond to situations in life. This is why it's interesting that he begins this whole section with the need for us to listen. I find myself that there are certain psalms that I go to in certain situations in life, but there are psalms that are my go-to when something tumultuous happens in life, when, when something comes in unexpected and unanticipated, and you, know, you try to think of all the eventualities, but you can't think of everything. But there are psalms that I run to to remind me who God is and what He is doing and the reality of His character. And they always mold and shape me and help me to respond. But this is what Solomon is exhorting us to do is that we need to get our thoughts right and then we get our mouths right and we will respond right. And so therefore, he wants us to discipline our minds and our mouths and we aren't to come making these rash promises. And people do this often. Maybe if we think back in our life, we can think of promises that we made God. If He would just get us out of this, we'll do this. Or maybe that we come with these rash accusations. Because it's interesting that He starts off broadly here and He's going to get down to the vow in verses 4 and following. But here, He leaves the wording a little more broad. Don't be hasty in word. In other words, sometimes when things come in our life, we start accusing God. Sometimes in, our, in the things that we say and the way that we act as though somehow we think that we're high enough to judge God's actions, like somehow we can call God on the carpet and we can call Him to explain Himself to us. How dare you do this to me? Why are you making me go through this? Give an accounting of yourself, God. Why this? Why that? And it isn't that we can't ask God for clarity. That's not the issue here. But sometimes we do this, right? Because we forget Ecclesiastes chapter 3, that, that God has a purpose for everything under the sun and everything that He does, right? And there is a plan and a design behind everything that goes on. But sometimes we forget that and we, don't, we look at our life and we look what we're going through and we go, I don't deserve this and why is this happening to me? And we start challenging God in this. So Solomon says, be careful. Know who you're talking to. And we may not immediately express these words outwardly, but if we're thinking them, eventually we're going to give expression to them. So therefore, our minds can't be allowed to go this way, otherwise we will say things we should not say. We will address God in a way that we should not address God. And we are exhorted in the New Testament that we need to remove foolishness from our lives, and therefore we need to be wholesome in our speech, but also in our thoughts. Philippians 4 is a great passage because Paul does something for us in Philippians 4. One, he teaches us how to deal with anxiety. And the first part, he teaches us how to deal with it when we're in the moment of it. What do we do when we're in it? And then he gives us what to do in the long term as we face it. How do we prepare ourselves for the future? When more anxious things might come upon us, how do we respond to that? So Solomon gives us a proper perspective then. Be careful. 
Don't be hasty in word or impulsive in thought, for God is in heaven and you are on the earth. Therefore, let your words be few. God is above and beyond the Son. He warns us not to think that we're closer to God than we really are. Yes, there is a communion that we have with God. Yes, we are in the presence of God and He is in our presence when we worship. Yes, that we can come in the Son before Him, right? Before His throne of grace. But at the same time, He is still God. He is still transcendent. He is still incomprehensible. He is still the one that we should fear. Therefore, we understand then that biblical prayer, when we bring things before the Lord, whatever the matter is, that we don't seek to manipulate God like the idolaters of those who surrounded the nation of Israel. Thus, we must limit our words and avoid hastiness. Appending promises, and, and this is understanding the promises of God, verses 4-7. through seven. We deal with the issue of vows. There's several commands that come in this section like the previous one. And the commands are as follows. Do not be late in fulfilling the vow, verse 4. Pay what you vow. Do not let your speech cause you to sin. Do not say that it was a mistake, verse 6. And finally, verse 7, fear God. These are all the commands. Verses are dealing with making vows, and biblical vows, we understand them to be that it involved dedicating something or someone to God. In other words, it was a vow to give oneself to God. And oftentimes the sacrifices went along with this. Or that you vow your child, right? Samuel, in the case of Samuel and his mother, she dedicated him to the Lord. Or when it comes to money, finances, sometimes we do this. Sometimes we vow a certain percentage to God. It's funny because I was talking to a brother and he owned two businesses, two restaurants, different ends of town. One was doing really well, the other wasn't doing so great and what have you, but he felt convicted and so he decided that he was going to donate one of them and sort of set it aside, right, dedicate it to God. So whatever profits I make out of this one, this is going to go to support ministries and all this kind of stuff, right, and do that. And he decided though, but he was going to give God the one that wasn't so prosperous. Well, as he watched over time, that restaurant started to thrive. The one that he set apart for himself started to diminish in income. Realized, right? <laughs> Sometimes we do this in life. We set things aside, we dedicate it, we set this over to the Lord, and if we do that, make sure it remains that. Whatever that vow is, whatever that promise is, we must be faithful to that. And we're given examples, clear ones, of rash vows that are made. Jephthah, Judges 11. But one that stands out always in my mind, Exhibit A from the New Testament of insincerity and deceptive promises, Ananias and Sapphira. And we all know what happened to them. Right? They dropped dead. Why? Because they lied to God. They were deceptive in what they offered. And the vow, the promise that they made to God and what they were going to give. Which helps us to understand that God takes these things seriously. We are so rash with the things that we say to God sometimes. And we're not considered the one that we are speaking to. And this is why I think it's so significant that Solomon ends with the final imperative, fear God. Fear God. And some want to diminish that idea of fear. is like It just has the idea of respect. It's more than that. 
If God can take the life of Ananias and Sapphira for lying, does that not mean that He could do the same for us? If we fail to fulfill a promise and a vow to God, can He not do this? This is not just an Old Testament issue. This is a New Testament issue. And we also know from 1 Corinthians that there were believers who died because of a sin, right? They were involved in. So we must be cautious when we come before God. And Jesus warns us of this need for unconditional integrity and truthfulness. And it doesn't diminish promises that we make in serving God. We must maintain our integrity if we're going to make a vow, even in the church age, even now, in the present life that we are in, if we make a vow to God, we must fulfill that vow. And if you have no intention of fulfilling it, don't make it. <laughs> Just that simple, Solomon says. Don't make it. And sometimes it's better to face the uncertainties and, and the futility of life under the sun than to make a vow and not fulfill that vow before God. So, verses 4 and 5, then the injunctions are simple. When you make a vow to God, pay what you vow. It is better that you should do so than that you should vow and not pay it. Do not let your speech cause you to sin. and Do not say in the presence of the messenger of God that it is a mistake. The point of these passages are clear. We understand that if we make a vow to God, don't delay in, in fulfilling that. Don't promise things that we cannot and should not promise. And the other is this. Resist making vows in the times of trial. <laughs> we want to do it because we want out of whatever we're in. And if you're going to make one in a time of trial, think very carefully about it. Verse 6, mean what we say. Let your yes be yes and your no be no, right? <laughs> How many times do we tell someone, I'm going to be there, and then you're not there, <laughs> right? And we can start to do this, and, and they understand because we're friends, we get it, hey, something came up, whatever. But the problem is we get into a habit when we do this of saying but never intending on fulfilling. We must be careful. We develop these habits of life. Sometimes they don't seem so bad, but they start to carry over into other areas of our life. Where all of a sudden you become known for someone who doesn't keep their word. But we're Christians, we are to be of integrity, and therefore we must keep our word. The thing that's interesting about verse 6 is the statement about the messenger of God. Who exactly is the messenger? Several indications, the identifications that people have made, it's the angel of God, it's a prophet, a priest, or it's the priest's messenger. In ancient Israel, when they would come to worship, oftentimes they would inform the priest of their vows and the sacrifices they were going to make, and thus they also would inform the priest's agents or messengers. And that is what we are talking about here. We notice that of God is in italics, it's not there. We're talking about the messenger of the priest. Someone who serves in the temple. And oftentimes they would remind the worshiper of the vow that they make or of the sacrifice they were to give, and then they would expect the sacrifice to be given to them as it was promised. But then comes the statement that this was a mistake, verse 6. Do not say to the messenger of God that it was a mistake. It was unintentional error. 
In other words, vows are meant to be intentional, not unintentional. God finds no pleasure in foolish promises. And God takes the things that we say and He's going to hold us to them. And claiming that it was merely a mistake is admitting to the fact that you made this vow in haste in the first place. And the warning comes in verse 6 that the results of such foolishness can be catastrophic. Do not say in the presence of the messenger of God that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry on account of your voice and destroy the work of your hands? Make a commitment, you need to keep it. Why? Because God doesn't forget. We forget. Sometimes we make promises to our kids. But Dad, you promised. I didn't say that. What are you talking about? I'd never promise that. But Dad, you promised. Or our wives. But you promised me, dear, you would do this. I don't remember. But you promised. God's never going to forget the things that we promise. He's never going to forget the things that we vow to. He's going to hold us accountable, so don't decide and then deny it afterwards because God does not ignore our decisions. This is where the pattern of your life as a believer, if we just merely voice it, right? It becomes things that we say and not things that we mean. The things that we intend to do with our life. Sometimes we speak with the Christianese and we use all the right words and all the right phrases and all of that, but yet the life doesn't seem to back it up. Then comes the final exhortation, fear God. Be aware of who you're talking to. And I like that he ends with this because he wants us to, to linger on this and he brings it at the end of the climax. This is the conclusion of all of this. You need to fear God, which I find it intriguing because as Solomon began Proverbs, he began with the fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. In other words, without the fear of God, there is a deficiency lacking in our knowledge. Think about that one. Not only that, but as you go through Scripture, you find that no wisdom exists apart from the fear of the Lord or that blessing comes with the fear of the Lord. In other words, if we don't fear the Lord, then the individual is lacking in knowledge, wisdom, and blessing in their life. We want to diminish this. We want to minimize this and what fearing the Lord means. And I tell people, go back to Exodus chapter 20 to get a sense of the fear of the Lord when the people were afraid to approach the mountain that they might drop dead and Moses says don't be afraid but let this fear keep you from sin in other words know who you're dealing with when we diminish fear to something merely just as reverential or merely respect well I can respect my boss at work is it the same thing as my relationship to God absolutely not I can respect you, but I must have reverential awe for God. I must fear God. And if I truly understand who He is in His nature and being, and if I truly have a reverential awe of God, then I will be careful how I speak to God. This is why the Psalms are so great to me, because we can come to the Psalms and it teaches us in the midst of these kinds of moments how to talk to God. 
Sometimes I have trouble expressing the things that I'm feeling and it gives me the words to say. Words that won't offend God. Words that allow me to draw near to God, but understanding clearly who God is. We can come into His presence and yet at the same time, He is transcendent. He is incomprehensible. He is untouchable. He is God. And therefore, we must fear Him. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we're so thankful for Your Word to us. We're thankful for Solomon and how You worked in and through his life and how Your Spirit worked and led as he wrote these words down and the struggles that he had in life that he brought upon himself through his own sinfulness, Father, and walking away from You. But, Lord, we're so thankful for the journey that he took and the way that You would use that to enable us to see life and the world around us, to enable us to see how we should relate to You and have a relationship with You and how to communicate with You. We need to remember that Jesus was man among men without a doubt, but yet at the same time, He could speak in calm storms and we must stand with the disciples and say, what sort of man is this? He doesn't fit any of our categories. Why? Because He is the Son of God. We understand that you are God and we are not. That you are holy and inscrutable. That you are transcendent. That your residence is in heaven above and not even the highest of heavens can contain you. And yet we are earthly. Forgive us when we speak rashly, utter vows and promises to you. And we desire to be faithful in the things that we declare to you. That we not delay. That we are people of integrity. Not only in our relationship with you, but with each other. Father, we're so thankful for all that we have in Christ our Savior and the blessings that we have in Him access that we have in and through Him. Father, pray for Your blessing upon all Your people this day. Those who are suffering, Father, for the sake of the Gospel and their relationship with Christ, may they find strength and comfort and peace in You. Pray these things in Your name.